0: Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have two very special guests who just published a book in November 15th, 2023. Title Full title of the book is Pipe the Bimbo in Red, Dean Andrews, Jim Garrison, and the Conspiracy to Kill JFK. And the authors are Donald Jeffries and William Matson Law. If you listen to my show, I've been on like I think Don and I have this will be our fourth show. We've been on other shows together. But we did a show on his excellent book, Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 destroyed civil liberties and shut down the world. And also we did another one on borrowed fame, money, mysteries, and corruption in the entertainment world. And then I had him on the first time to talk about somebody I think is an important political figure that kind of gets lost in history, and that is Huey Kingfish Long. But uh, also he's written nine books. I think he's put out three books this year. So he's a very prolific author. And hard to keep up with, so I'm glad to have him on the show. And also joining us is William Matson Law. He's written for this will be his fourth book, and uh, the one that I saw on Amazon is titled "In the Eye of History: Disclosures in the JFK Assassination Medical Evidence." But uh, like the title says, it's about this this really interesting guy in New Orleans, Dean Andrews. And today is literally the 60 year anniversary of the assassination of JFK, so it's an important story. And I'm glad to have them both here. So, Donald and William, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank so you.
0: So, maybe, yeah. So, for people who may not have heard the last shows that I did with Don or uh, know your name, William, maybe you guys can talk about your background. I know you have a very long background, on on the JFK assassination research side. Maybe you can just do a, a background and then what led up to you working together on this book, Pipe the Bimbo and Red
1: uh okay well i i go back uh i'm getting seniority all the time i don't know I I maybe the last uh the oldest critic standing at some point of the most tenured critic because i started out at very young i was a teenager and uh <clears throat> i um, was a volunteer for mark lane's citizens committee of inquiry and uh very heady stuff i got to go to the archives and hold the hold the crappy carcano and the magic bullet and see the clothing and all that and at a private viewing of the Zapruder film frame by frame. And so, so it was, I was like 18. It was pretty, uh, pretty, uh, heady stuff for a kid, but I, I've never looked back. That's my, of course, I've written about a lot more stuff, but that's the one that set me down these, this, the primrose path you know, of, uh, of, uh, of popularity in the, uh, <clears throat> conspiracy world, but not anywhere else. So, uh, I, I started out there and, uh, this book is uh, really uh William came up with the title. So all you women out there who are infuriated, uh you know, write him. Uh <laughs> he's <laughs> the one came up with the title. And uh he's he also really wanted to do this book. Dean Andrews the third, uh, and there are some coincidences in his life. He came into my life through my brother, my late brother, and people know I've talked about Ricky a lot as you know, I think the hospital murdered him with COVID protocol and all that a couple years ago, but uh Somehow, like 20 years ago, I, I, they got together and became best friends. I'm you know, still astonished by it, it's kind of a cosmic coincidence. And so Dean was fascinated by the fact that you know, I was in the Kennedy assassination so much and knew about his dad's testimony and everything. So he quickly became a favorite. You know, he, we, we invited him back when we used to entertain all the time. He came to many, many holiday, holiday gatherings. And people can see a nice picture of him and my brother and me in the book at uh, one of those Christmas gatherings or something, birthdays or something but um, so Dean was fascinating to me and I guess I was uh, fascinated to him, but I, I never really thought that much about making a book based on him, but William was the one that really pushed that. And he said, I think there's a book here and obviously there was. And so uh, it's, this is not just about Dean or Dean the third, but he, it's really the central figure. I mean, it's kind of centered around him, but uh, <clears throat> we just talk about what, what I call the ground level plot in New Orleans. And that is, uh, the people that uh, I don't think were the actual conspirators of JFK, including Oswald, that were all manipulated. And first and foremost, Oswald, I think he was manipulated into that group by whatever agency he was working for and told to report back on the plot to kill the president. And for all I know, all the others were told the same thing, except Clay Shaw. Clay Shaw, who we delve into quite a bit in this book and his incredible connections, just to go back to World War II. Uh, Clay Shaw was a very powerful figure. and I think he was the connecting the conduit between those ground level conspirators who are all being used in different ways and the real conspirators in Washington, DC and elsewhere. So uh, that's what the book is about. It's a lot about Dean. William uh, interviewed Dean the third on the records, the first time he's spoken out. And there's also a great interview in there with Perry Ray Russo that, that William did uh, one of the few interviews I guess he gave later in life, uh, ended up being one of Garrison's most important witnesses. So uh we're proud of it, and it's very timely. Uh, we get it out just uh, before the 60th anniversary, so hopefully people that are interested in the subject will check it out.
0: And how about you, William? How did you kind of – you were compiling a lot of information that went into this, that interview with Russo, who, if you watch the JFK movie, is played by Kevin Bacon, right? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Right. Um, I got uh, – I saw the Subruder film for the first time, like a lot of people did back in 1975 on Good Night America with uh, Geraldo Rivera. And it was just so gruesome. And I remember sitting there watching that, but I really didn't get into it um, until uh, I stumbled across a book talking about Kennedy's assassination in the 1980s. And in this book was uh, autopsy photographs of Kennedy that I'd never seen before. And, And to my untrained eyes, I could tell something wasn't quite right. I didn't know what, but I took the book home. I read it. I read it over and over again. Uh, basically, the, the premise of this book was that that uh, somewhere between Parkland, when Kennedy died, and the body was taken to Bethesda, that the body had been gotten to somehow, and and bullets removed from the body or the wounds changed on the body. And this sounded preposterous, and I, but I couldn't get over it. So I started reading everything I could on Kennedy's assassination. And then when the the information got repetitive to me, I started calling people, uh, people in down, uh, Dealey Plaza that were in, in the plaza, that, that had been on President Kennedy's detail. It just kind of snowballed for me. And that, that led me to uh, talking to some of the people that had, had a hand in President Kennedy's autopsy. And that was my first book in the Eye of History. Things just went on from there. I later did a book with uh, Hugh Clark, who was one of the people that took Kennedy's casket to Arlington Cemetery. So that's that's kind of how it all just got started for me.
0: So both of you guys, I mean, it's been some time, 60 years. So You guys started very early back in the day. Mark Lane was, uh, what was his famous book? It was
1: Rush to Judgment.
0: Rush to Judgment. Thank you. So that was one of the first ones. Um, yeah. But it all goes back to New Orleans, like in this Dean Andrews character, who's played by John Candy, who really is a vivid kind of character in the movie, JFK. Well, who was Dean Andrews and why is he important? He knew
1: everybody, right? Uh, yeah, well, Dean Andrews is important because it's, he's he really uh, it's not talked about much. But uh, as I understand it, Jim Garrison's uh, interest, they say he had uh, John Barber claims it was Hale Boggs. I've always heard it was Russell Long. That's the way it was. Russell Long was played by Walter Matthaus. That's what was depicted in Oliver Stone's JFK. But <clears throat> I think before that, uh he was, or maybe it was right after that, but the, the testimony that really grabbed his eye in the Warren Commission's hearing is, is Dean Andrews Jr.'s testimony. Now, if you've studied the um, the Warren Commission's evidence like we have, the 20 said, I've, you know, gone through the 26 volumes to the best I can. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, 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 uh, it, it's not easy. It's like uh, reading, uh, war and peace when you just take a bunch of tranquilizers. I mean, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, difficult plowing through it, but because most of it's meaningless, but I think of all the testimony in there, and William may agree or not, the most fascinating testimony and the most important testimony comes from Dean Andrews Jr. You read it. First of all, it's got the cool beatnik lingo in there, snippets of it, which makes it interesting, you know, just right there. And, uh, you know, you got to love somebody that, you know, he's, he's being, he's the one you, th- you think of Maggie's drawers and Oswald's abilities as a shooter. I, I, you know, again, that comes from Dean Andrews. Dean Andrews said he couldn't shoot. I mean, uh, Nelson Delgado also talked about it later, but Dean Andrews brought that up first. And he said at the end, he said, there are three people I'm going to find. The Mexican, we're not sure who that means. Um, uh, Clay Bertrand. And the real person that shot the president, so I mean, he's throwing that out there, you and like you can hear the Warren Commission Council kind of say, What you, are you insinuating it wasn't Oswald? And he's I know damn, you know, I know full good and well it wasn't Oswald, and so his testimony is unlike anybody else's in the record. And uh, but his the reason why he was called as a witness and why it's important is because he at the time of the assassination, and we have a lot of background on this, we have some new disclosures from Dean the third that are uh, bombshells about what was going on in that hospital. But he was in the hospital for a relatively minor medical problem at the time of the assassination. And he was called on the evening of November 22nd, or the late afternoon of the 22nd, and asked, after Oswald had been uh, arrested, uh, by a Clay Bertrand. And he was asked to represent Lee Harvey Oswald as his attorney. And um, lots of this, you know, I've questioned it a lot. You know, why was he called? You know, why, why did they pick him? Uh, how do they know he's in the hospital? Uh, this, you know this. This is they do it to rope him in or whatever, and he uh, was going to do it. And uh, we have all the details in there about how he, his his secretary very strangely said she couldn't go to Dallas with him, which was she was very loyal. That was kind of a weird thing. But um, at any rate, that began uh, Dean Andrews uh, spiraling uh, his, his family, and that's why this is a background issue. of What happened to the Andrews family too through Dean the third, and so we see this was a prominent New Orleans lawyer. Uh, he headed up the New Orleans Jazz Festival. They led a great life, and uh, their lives were never the same after he got drawn into the garrison investigation because he felt compelled to lie, and Dean the Dean Third admits it, you know, that he lied, and he he lied to protect himself and his family. He thought. He was scared. He saw all the other people dying. As he said at one point, you know, they can crush me like a bug, you know, and his great language that he had. And one of his other great statements, I like to breathe, which is just, you know, <laughs> it's just such a profound statement, you know, I like to breathe. And uh, so, it just it, he's a fascinating character. Just for the beatnik, uh, I mean, how many beatniks in history? You know, do we have a uh, document, especially associated with the JFK assassination. So um, he's a fascinating character, and he's but he's you know the central focus in many ways of the book. But um, and the fact that he's his uh, son came into my life, and uh, you know he's in, you know Dean the third has the book now. He's happy with it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. He likes the picture we took, uh, we, we selected for him with uh, my brother and me. So um, so this is, but the, the phone call is what brought Dean in. Dean heard in, and that was what, because they had to discredit, and you can see that's what Oliver Stone's JFK went very far with that, where Clay Shaw's, there are lots of evidence that his, you know, his alias was Clay Bertrand. He signed a card in a hotel and you have Al- uh, Officer Hagenborst, whatever the guy's name was, that they wouldn't allow him to, Talk about that—that that he listed Bertrand as an alias. It was important because if that's Clay Shaw, who's who's the president of the New Orleans trademark and has all these powerful connections, and he does. And again, you go back to World War II, and we'll talk about it. you know we that's uh, you know talked about in detail in the book. But if that's uh, you know what is this guy doing calling Dean Andrews uh, and D, so Dean Andrews had to backpedal. He told many different stories. He ended up um, to his uh, shame. Appearing as one of the big witnesses in the NBC attack piece, uh, you know, with, with, through Walter Sheridan, you know, who was caught bribing Terry Raymond Musso and so forth, and somehow nothing happened to him. But um, the, the the piece was so biased that they had to give Garrison uh, thirty minutes of FCC time to respond. It was so unfair. But uh, this, so this is the story. You know, obviously the ground level plot, but it is a, a as a backdrop of what happened to one family. But I, I have great sympathy for Dean. Andrews Jr. because I, I understood why he felt like he had to do what he did. He did it to protect his family. And he still, it, it still didn't matter. I mean, Dean the thirds he doesn't mind me telling you, he, he just lost his brother, his younger brother recently. You know, we could commiserate because we each lost a brother in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, he, he freely admits he was he was a lifelong drug abuser. And I don't think that would have happened if this, because in his, his, Dean Andrews Jr. was locking this kid, the youngest boy, he was locking him out of the house after school because he was paranoid. He thought they were going to come to get him. So that's the backdrop of this. Is Dean, Dean knew there was a conspiracy. He did it. He was very paranoid. He thought they were going to get him and his family, you know, obviously suffered as a result. They went from being a, you know, kind of one of the upper crust families or certainly an upper class family in New Orleans, a very prominent lawyer to to, uh, to that where they all had uh, different issues and typical dysfunction and everything. But uh, it's a fascinating story. in the New Orleans, I, it's, that's why we talked about Harold Weisberg a lot, because he's the one really who started the ball rolling in New Orleans with Oswald New Orleans, which is an underappreciated book. And uh, so we quoted a lot from his research in the book.
0: Gotcha. And William, what's your kind of take on Dean Andrew, Andrews?
2: Um, New Orleans, the New Orleans aspect of this whole thing has always fascinated me. I've got a soft spot in my heart. And I've got a soft spot in my heart for Garrison. As a matter of fact, I named one of my children Garrison after Jim Garrison. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so that, that's how I feel about uh, this. Um, Dean Andrews was quite a character. And uh, I want to get one thing straight. Pipe the bimbo and read the title of the book. <laughs> is it refers to a scene in JFK where uh, Dean Andrews and uh, Jim Garrison uh, are about to have uh, a conversation. And the scene opens in the movie with this beautiful woman in red going past. And Dean Andrews says, pipe the bimbo in red. Mm -hmm. And then begins this conversation, this conversation about His testimony and how how could Oswald change so much between, you know, the testimony that you gave, you know, to the Warren Commission and his height and all that. So that's where the title comes in, um, because it starts this fascinating conversation. And uh, according to uh, Dean Andrews, the third, his son, he said, Candy did a pretty good job uh, of portraying my dad as far as the look and the jive talk. He got all that right. Uh, Dean Andrews really fascinates me and and the language he used. And he had this persona of uh, when he was in public. Uh, Dean said that uh, when he was in court, he could make all the judges laugh. You know, they really really liked him a lot. But he said when he was at home, he wasn't like that at all. He wasn't on. He was just his dad. So uh, I really, I really wish I could have met dean andrews he was quite a character although uh, i did get to talk to you know dean andrews the third and uh, i really connected with him the, the backdrop of this book is that it really ruined their lives it it ruined dean andrews life it it did something to his son it did yeah. something to all the family family members anybody that was connected to this case in new orleans uh, it changed and Garrison
0: them. too, right? Garrison's life and his family—it it, it changed a price. them
2: all. It damaged them all. It put them under the microscope. Um, the interesting thing is that Garrison and Dean Andrews got along. They were friendly. And uh, what I learned that I didn't know from talking to Dean was that that there was a connection, uh, more of a connection than I ever thought possible between uh, Dean Andrews and Carlos Marcello. Yeah. Didn't know that stuff before. We got a lot of new stuff in here that I think is. Who was Carlos right.
0: Marcelo? Why is Marcelo important? And how did, how did Dean Andrews know him?
2: Go ahead and take that.
1: Well, Carlos well, Marcelo was, I guess, considered the mob boss of New Orleans, and a lot of people, a lot of researchers, have speculated that uh, you know that to put the mafia involved or They speculated that Marcelo and or tra- Santos Traficanti. Uh, were you know kingpins in this? I don't think that's true at all, but we do know that uh, Marcelo uh, was friends with Dean Andrews uh, Jr. and liked him, and uh, you know, at one point may have saved his life, according to Dean. You know, it's it's but so it's um, you know, and these and so young Dean, you know, grew up to like he said, you know, Jim Garrison would call his house regularly and he'd answer the phone, and Jim Garrison would, you know, the booming voice say, Young Dean, you know, he'd call him Young Dean, and uh. He had met Marcello. In fact, he uh, he told William and I uh, his impression of Marcello wasn't very wasn't a very strong one because he said he had such a limp wristed, weak handshake. You know, for a mob boss, and he said his father told him hey, he doesn't need to impress you. You know, he can be quiet and soft spoken. It Doesn't matter. He doesn't care about his handshake. He said that's real power or something like that. So, so it's it's, it's interesting hearing these. You can tell Dean grew up with uh, not only the beatnik philosophy but his father you know gave him those kind of uh gems as well
0: and marcello kind of had a history with the kennedy brothers right like robert f kennedy kicked him out of the country yeah well there's he a, was flown back he was flown back by ferry if i remember correctly. yeah he Guatemala. was and
1: and you and the um yeah marcello was the one i believe that you know and bobby kennedy i loved a lot about bobby kennedy but he um uh, he had gotten to the point where he was willing to skirt the law. He was the attorney general and uh, he'd gotten so frustrated with being unable to convict these mobsters in court because the juries were scared to convict them. They were threatened. So he just uh, basically abducted him on a, on a street and went and dropped him off in the, in the jungles of Guatemala or something. I mean, that's, that's what he was doing. And so you can imagine how that incensed these guys were, but uh, Ferry's connection to Marcelo was such that on the day of the assassination, he was in court with Carlos Marcelo, So uh, and he was, uh, he did work as his pilot and so forth. So very had interesting connections to Marcelo, but he also had connections, obviously, to the CIA through the Civil Air Patrol. We explore a lot of that as well, some of the interesting aspects of the people that were in the Civil Air Patrol.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable. It's remarkable how that was, the New Orleans was really this kind of like a staging ground for all those characters for the assassination that ended up in Dallas. It's really something else. Um. William, would you mind talking about who Russo was and why it was important and what it was like interviewing him?
2: Uh, Perry Raymond Russo was a 25 year old insurance salesman. And after a lot of this had come to light, uh, apparently Perry had called uh, Garrison and said, I I know some things that I think you should know. And uh, that's when uh, the information uh, got to Garrison that uh, there was apparently uh, a party at. uh, ferries one night where he overheard them talking about uh, you know they were going to get this guy and it turned to how to get Kennedy how can we get Kennedy and uh, there were some Cubans there and some other people and Perry related this uh, he was quite a, quite a character I never met him but I had some conversations with him um, over the phone uh, when I called him and this was back in the day when you could just pick up the phone and dial him, you know, and uh, pick up and he was driving for a cab company and he was very colorful and uh, when I first called him, he said, look, can you call me back in about 10 minutes? I said, sure. So I did. And he had apparently readied some materials because the way he was talking was almost like he was reading from, from something. And, and he had articles that he would read me part of it and, and then comment on it. So he was he was ready. He was a fascinating character, and what uh, he said, you know, you come to New Orleans, and he said, I'll take you around and uh, point out the different uh, sites, and we'll go by various apartment and things like that. And uh, it was a, it was two or three years before I decided I was going to go there. So I called him back, and he says, Ah, William. He says, Yeah. He says, I uh, I'm not feeling too good. Call me back in a couple days, will you? And I waited a month or two because I wanted him to be on his best so that we could confirm that I was going to come down there and do all these things. I called him and uh, got his machine, left a message, waited a couple of days, called again and got his machine. And uh, I called again and the, the number had been disconnected. So I started asking around and he had died. So that was that was a little weird. Mm.
0: And a lot of these guys, they die young. Like, I think even Andrews mm-hmm. passed away 58, pretty, uh, yeah. you know, these yeah. days, kind of. I think Perry sure. was 53. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And they knew. I mean, I remember the book, The Hit List. There's just so many suspicious things after 63. It was just like oh. 60s, it was a terrible. I mean,
1: you'll find, and we found that we were the, uh, <clears throat> you'll find out explosive information on Ed Vogel, who was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's best friend in high school. So uh, I talked to his family, and uh, I won't. Spoil it, but uh, read it in the book. You'll you'll be amazed that we found that this hit list went very deep, and uh, we found new victims like that that haven't generally been uh, necessarily wow. um, thought to be there. But one of the cool things uh, Oliver Stone did in this movie that uh, involving Russo and William knows this. I think I think he talked Russo talked about it with you, but uh, he used the real Perry Raymond Russo in the uh, in the bar. I guess the bar scene where uh, JFK's death was announced or something, and he. And it's yes. the real Russo because Russo really did hate JFK in real life, and so he's just he's talking like himself, saying, "Yeah, they, they should have killed the communists." Now that's what he really felt, and yeah, so uh, it was it was interesting that, that he that he that he said you know, just like uh, you know Oliver Stone also I thought was really cool. He cast Jim Garrison, an aging, almost dead Jim Garrison, as Earl Warren in the film. So I, I think those are really cool casting choices he made
0: there was also Willem mans was in there too at least he was in the takeouts and he was uh he was kind of a investigator from Europe
1: I'm yeah sure yeah what did it. I think he I' don't. what did he play I'm not sure what he played you're right God, I, didn't hear I that think now.
0: he played Demar Schultz. and he knew I mean his relationship the JFK yeah. is so full of weird stuff his relationship yes. with Demar and Schultz was
2: just blow your mind let me let me tell you a little story when I was talking to Perry he said uh he said I was in the movie talking about JFK and said, yeah, you're the guy at the bar, right? He says, yeah, right. He says, he says, he says to the director, he says, well, what do you want me to say? He says, well, just say how, say what you feel. So he says, you know, I start, you know, die Kennedy, die bastard. And <laughs> and uh, he says, there are short versions of that take and there are long versions of that take. And he said, at one point he, he said, I stood up and said uh, something and it had swear words in it and, and uh, he yelled in Kevin Cosner's direction. He says, all of a sudden, the whole room goes quiet. He says, Oliver Stone, who was in the next room looking at a monitor, came out. And he walks right up to him. he says, he gets two inches from my face. And he says, don't yell at Kevin. He says, oh, you want me to yell at Kevin? I won't yell at Kevin. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Yeah, that must have been an interesting set. There's, I mean, there's a lot of characters in that movie too. That's really something else. And Garrison, um, you, one of your friends too, Don. You mentioned him, John Barber, knew Garrison and talked to Garrison face to face. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's, really, it's a really important piece of history. This is pre-internet, right? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, we we included some quotes from John, and John is, you know, he's 90 years old now, still going strong. I just did a show with him Monday. We did Jeff Rents with him again. So I I don't I, I think we've got a Record number of shows we've done together. Now, we do a show with John. It's basically him. You know, I'm sitting there cheering him on because I know I can't share the stage with that guy. But he, he's, he's amazing because he's 90 years old and he's like the energizer of buddy. He doesn't come up for air. He's, he's absolutely amazing. I can't imagine what he was like as a teenager. But uh, John is the only person to interview uh, Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison chose to talk to him after the Clay Shaw trial and John tried to get his story on real people when he was uh, hosting and producing that. And it was the number one show on TV. And um, so he, that's how we, John and I met because our past intersected because he was in the JFK world. And to my shock, you know, he was, he was interested in being friends. with me. we just hit it off and uh, the rest is history. You know, it's, it's amazing. I never would have thought I would be such close friends with uh, somebody like that. He was a personal uh, uh, writer for Frank Sinatra for six years. I mean, this guy, this guy had lots and lots of very, uh, powerful connections. So to be asked to write the forward to his book, um, your mother's not a virgin was, you know, uh, a true honor, but in, in the book, and I'm not going to put the spoiler out there, but in the book he reveals, uh, cause he had, he had hours and hours of tape off the record with Jim Garrison. And in one of those, uh, moments, he asked Jim Garrison, who was the, who was the point man behind the assassination? So Jim Garrison names the individual he thinks was the, the guy that signed off on it. So you may agree or may not agree. And, uh, but that's, so it's very, very interesting. And Garrison was, I, as, as William does, I, I, I didn't name my kid after Garrison, but I, uh, I admire him very much. So this was a labor of love. I think he was, she was treated so unfairly. And John Barber tells a story that I don't know too many, uh, men who could live up to something like this, the, the character of the man, was shown by the fact, as you mentioned, William, uh, his family did abandon him. And that happens to all whistleblowers. So most of the people I interview, their family almost never stands beside them ever. And uh, but it, and so he, he was no exception. So you can say, you know, that with the great movie when he's telling uh, uh, Sissy Spake as Sezeka as his wife, you know, damn Liz, I can't fight the whole world and you too. That's what he was doing, and it ended up that she decided to go with the whole world because she left him and. Um, so she left him in his hour of need. He had a right to be bitter at her, and she remarried. And the guy ran through all her money, supposedly. And but on his deathbed, Jim Garrison summoned her to his deathbed in the hospital, and he signed over his very uh, lucrative pension as a judge to her. And, and 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 you know, obviously, John Barr was impressed by that. I I I don't know if I've ever heard of such a magnanimous gesture before. I mean, you're. You're, uh, I don't know, William, would you do that for one of your ex-wives? I don't know. I mean, I, I have no ex-wives to do that to, but that's most people wouldn't. I mean, that's just, you know, you think about that. That's a, a, just an, an astonishing gesture, and it shows what a character he had uh, to do something like that. So uh, I, I I, don't have much tolerance for people that try to badmouth him and everything. I think he was, he was up against uh, a media campaign the likes of which, you know, no, no, one, no one had seen up until that point. I mean, they just were—he att- was being attacked, and he still is. If You still hear his name. You still hear disinfo talked about him. all. he was soft on the mob. You know, he liked—he liked Carlos Marcello. He didn't go. Out he was to taking the- money
0: from gambling rooms, all kinds of stuff. They really went yeah, after him.
1: Yeah, yeah, multi,
0: yeah. Multi—you know—character yeah. destruction. It's a shame. He's really an American hero because he really was doing all the original work. Like what was it Trail of the Assassins? Yeah. Like he really laid the groundwork, I think. And a lot of people worked with him too. While wow, you talk about Weisberg forgot the comedian who worked with him. A lot of people
1: Mort Saul, Mort Saul.
0: Mort Saul, thanks. Yeah. I yeah, did a show yeah. on Mort Saul. So there was he was kind of like the spearhead in some ways of the people who know the, the Oswald did it stories. Uh
1: yeah, and certain. that's why when 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 Weisberg uh we I talk in the book you know we've we talked in the book about uh Weisberg getting uh, very bitter as he you know, he turned on Garrison and I think he was uh because he did do a lot of research for Garrison but he was so mad that Oliver Stone I think he was just jealous that Oliver Stone decided to make uh, Garrison his protagonist in the film. And it was a logical choice. I think Weisberg thought he should have been and uh, very bitter. And he he ended up leaking uh, an advanced copy of JFK to book world and uh, George Lardner Jr. Who was a premier Mockingbird media member. I mean, this guy had been promoting disinfo for decades in the post and Weisberg should have despised that guy, but he was mysteriously friends with him. And uh, so I don't know. Weisberg's a hero of mine too, but he did some, some very strange things, and I think he was really uh, unfair to Garrison.
0: Yeah, Garrison had to endure that as well. Not just the character assassination, but a lot of like betrayals and a lot of interpersonal things going through this, this process. That uh, you know would would be a just i think he probably was disappointed didn't he lose employees and people screaming at him or, you know all that stuff i think it's yeah, and he, yeah
1: he, he, he was infiltrated we we go into that book a lot he had he had two or three people that were uh that were obviously paid uh, cia or somebody that infiltrated stole his files and so when he came to trial like he had and he was he was incredibly naive and trusting and he ended up uh, there was a guy and they they uh, stone shows a little bit of it in his film but there was a uh man that told this impressive story about meeting Ferry and Shaw and everything. And uh, they got him on the stand. It turns out he's, you know, he's, he talked about uh, when, when his daughter went away and came back, that she was replaced with a duplicate and things. So instant discredit and this, and you can see in the film, that's one of, that's one of Boxley's witnesses. So that, that was, you know, that was a witness of one of the, one of the infiltrators that suggested these kind of cranks to make him look bad. So they were, they were trying to, when they weren't murdering people, David Ferry, you know, murdered uh, you know, with two, uh, two type suicide notes. And the same day, Del Valle, connected to a lot of these things, found with a hatchet in his head, and I think shot too in Miami. So uh, they were. They had lots of witnesses that were scared, Julianne Mercer and lots more that would not come because they saw the witnesses that were dying. And they did not want to come. Roger Craig, who ended up dying. Or Richard Randolph Carr, that were threatened, shot. Uh, you know, before Craig was later killed. But uh, so you can understand why a lot of these witnesses were were, were scared to testify. So, and the fact that the garrison was up against the governors of several states who weren't extraditing witnesses, unheard of in those days. DAs, you know, cooperate between states. That's a uh, governor's cooperate with DAs of other states is unheard of, especially the investigation of the president of the United States. But, but two of those governors, interestingly enough, were Governor Ronald Reagan of California, And Governor John Connolly of Texas, who, of course, was shot. And you think he'd want to get to the truth of it. But they they were two of those who protected witnesses. So Garrison couldn't get some of the most important witnesses. So he was left with Perry Raymond Russo and to try the best to make make the best case he could against Clay Shaw.
0: Yeah, amazing. And also, like, uh, there's the Fletcher Prudy characters in JFK. But you also have a letter that I've never seen between him and Oliver Stone. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating – because it goes over – it's his – he talks about, like, um, uh, things that are not talked about generally in terms of uh, munitions and things coming out of the Pentagon and weapon systems. Uh, I think it's very – readers can read it. I mean, it's kind of hard to to summarize, but uh, he's giving more of his inside background and much more than uh, Stone could show in the movie. Because in in the movie, Prouty was – Basically, his character based on him was Mr. X, played by Donald Sutherland. And he gives a little of that. So, some of the, if you read that letter, you'll recognize some of the stuff, but it goes into much more detail. And uh, Proudy was, and of course, Proudy's a victim of, you know, the critical community has been taken over what I call neocons, who are not, I don't think they're out for the truth. And they don't really believe that there was a conspiracy. I don't know what they're working for, but uh, one of the attacks recently in the last year. Uh, some of them went and started trying to ridicule and attack Fletcher Prouty and they this is what they typically do they will go after somebody who's say a, a pro conspiracy or on the conspiracy side and they try to discredit and I I've, I've argued with them many times I said you know you're what do you think is the evidence that there was a conspiracy because they they try to you know diminish any evidence for it so so what what is your evidence for it? you know and they they don't even have an answer but uh, I think Prouty was a a great guy although I will tell you I interviewed Barbara Honiger who wrote October surprise on my show a few months back. And uh, I don't remember the exact details. People can probably find it in the archives at americaunplugged.com. Fascinating interview. And uh, she, at one point, she was summoned to meet Fletcher Prouty years ago. And the way she described it, he was trying to recruit her into some kind of secret organization. I don't, but she still liked him. You you have to watch it. It's fascinating. I'd never heard anything like it before, but uh, certainly... Uh, a, a very interesting guy, and uh, he—he's uh, the one that really shed more light on the Secret Service, their failure to uh, do their job when he was talking about all the precautions that weren't taken and so forth. And I've—I've I've written a, a lot about that. And
0: then, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of new information in this book. And where's the best place for people to find Pipe the Bimble and Red?
1: Uh, well, anywhere. I mean, there's you know, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I. I I don't know about William, but I always tell people, to except for my book uh, Masking the Truth, where I wanted people to buy from the publisher because I would get a lot more per book from that. But typically we get so little that you know, I just tell people get the best deal you can. You know, it's not going to make much difference to to the <laughs> author. So I would just you know, I would just tell them. I mean, I'm not a huge supporter of Amazon, but Amazon is important to writers because um, ratings, that's the only place where it's books are rated. Usually and also the reviews, you know, people look at the numbers, stars and uh, we had a nasty one star review, which, by the way, has been is down that way. It's not there anymore. uh, If you notice it or not, the one star. Yeah, I don't know what happened. But uh, so we have a five star review uh, from Sam Tripoli, by the way. Big, big comedian. uh, I've been on the show before. And uh, so um, people can uh, rate it there, please. uh, at Amazon, if you can, the more the more ratings, the better. The numbers matter there. Cool,
0: that's that's cool. Sam tripoli has got a very influential show. There's one more question I wanted to ask you. Something that I wasn't aware of was the Church Committee had a 150-page document on Oswald. Can one of you summarize that or kind of talk a little bit about that? I wasn't aware of that document existed.
1: William, do you know any of that? I I
2: don't.
0: Oh, I, well, I, I,
1: I well I talk about I talk a little. I don't know if it's that document, but I did talk a little bit about uh, um, the. Uh, the church committee in the book and i think i think we do go over some do, i don't know if it's that document or not but i you know there's so much material in there but uh, they they did a lot of frank church was a, that's back when i was a democrat that was my kind of democrat i that, that's the kind of guy that i like frank church he was my boy i would have voted for him for president
0: yeah i think there was a book that just came out that said the last honest man or something like that yeah, that was the title yeah. like he was really and then he i mean these people sadly they pass away early Yes, i think yes. he like they really brought impressive- out a lot of information.
2: The church committee did a lot of good. Yep.
0: Yeah. he was a he was a, like from Idaho or something like that. Yes. Brilliant yeah. guy, but not uh, not one of these Eastern Brahmin types, you know, uh, CIE types. But yeah, he was a credit to the country. No question about it. The guy's amazing. Um, it's really great to talk with you. Thanks so much for publishing this book. It's perfect timing. A lot of new information. And where can people? Uh, See your find your other books and other material. material. Well, I
1: I do it. Dawn Lambert, whose name I recognize over here in the chat, she's saying that she uh, remembers. Oh, there you go. Remembers me from Facebook. I think we're hopefully you're still my friend on Facebook. I didn't get rid of you. Only real and friendly peeps I ever friended. Are you still that way? Well, I don't know. I'm just as real or unreal as I've ever been, I guess. Uh, I'm still pretty friendly, I think. (laughs) I'm trying to be. (laughs) But uh, yeah, my my books are. you can. My website is donaldjeffries.media, and uh, people can support me by going to Substack, donaldjeffries.substack.com. It's the only place I'm not being shadow banned, and the, it's, it's, the, the Substack is I protest just like my weekly live streaming show on these same fun channels so through Steamyard and Rockfin and so forth, YouTube.
0: And you're on Free World too, right? Free World FM.
1: Yes. In fact, my first show, I think, is going to be tonight, if I can figure out how to do it. Because I wanted to, I said, well, let's let's start it on November 22nd. What more appropriate day for me? So uh, I'll be, uh, I think that'll be my fifth or sixth show by then. So hopefully I I still have a voice. (laughs) Cool.
0: I've I've used the software to use Free World. It seems to function very easy for me.
2: So hopefully it'll be the same for you.
0: And you, William, where can people find your books or reach out
2: to you uh, online? You can uh, get them through Trine Day Publishing. You can get them at all the bookstores, better bookstores everywhere, Amazon.
0: And do you have social media? People can find you on Twitter or something like that.
2: I know. Oh, you can, find, can find, you me.
0: find me on Facebook. Facebook under um, William Matson Law, right? Full name. Yes. Great. Thanks so much for your time. And the title of the book, again, is Pipe the Bimbo in Red, Dean Andrews, Jim Garrison and the Conspiracy to Kill JFK. There's a lot more information in this book that we didn't even cover. So just published November 15th, 2023.
2: Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Stay
2: there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.